All right. Well, hey, everybody. This is James S. Aaron, and welcome to Marathon Author. This is the end of the year show and the beginning of the year show, and it's already the 5th of January. So it's yet another indicator of how fast time is moving right now. I feel like I'm constantly in warp speed on the Enterprise, and if I want to do anything that's outside the warp tunnel, it takes a lot of focus and concentration. (laughs) And Scotty's yelling in the background that, uh, he's given her all he's got captain. We can't, we can't do anymore. (laughs) So most of my life, and it feels like the lessons from 2020 are about trying to figure out and focus in the moment to make things happen. But if you try and focus in the moment, like even look back at yesterday, I often feel like I didn't accomplish the things that I wanted to. I have to look at things on a monthly basis or even a quarterly basis. And that's when it starts to look like, yeah, you actually did more than you, you thought you did. So it's been a couple of weeks since the last update and I apologize for that, but it's kind of the story of 2020 for me that just a lot of stuff has happened. And when I was going to record the last show, my, my Corgi, uh, Sawyer actually, he stu- he wasn't able to move his back legs and it just happened kind of overnight on Saturday. And I had planned on recording the show on Sunday, but obviously that's a big part of what's going on in our lives. And I didn't want to do a show where I said, my dog is sick and then not have any kind of update. I would feel bad about that. And actually what we thought had happened was he had swallowed a marble from one of my daughter's new toy sets she got for Christmas, which she is fascinated by marble runs, which is fun, but always kind of had the worry that we have these little things rolling around the house that look just like gobstoppers because they're multicolored, like single colors, right? And his favorite thing is to follow her around and snatch up anything she drops that looks the least bit like food. And he'll snatch it up and then kind of figure out that it's not food and spit it out again. But this would be something that'd be really easy for him to, to eat. So he wasn't eating. He was just staying in his crate. And when you know, you'd take, coax him out to get him to eat his leg, his back legs weren't working. And so we tried, you know, kind of gave it a couple days, um, didn't improve, took him to the vet. It turned out that he basically has a slipped disc in his back and just the tests and things were right around a thousand dollars. And we got some muscle relaxants, some painkillers for him. The vet said to basically, you know, give it some time. We'll see how things go. And fortunately he's, I'd say he's about 90% back. Um, he's still having a, what looks like reduced movement in one of his back, his hind legs. And so, you know, we'll, we'll keep watching it. And he's just, he's a corgi. So as he starts to feel better, one of the things they said is if you're going to take the dog, you know, take him outside so he can do his business and, you know, just be outside, keep him on a leash because he will want to run. And even though it's obvious he's not feeling a hundred percent, he still wants to run. (laughs) Like, you know, for a while he, he definitely was like, he was drugged up by the painkillers and whatnot. So he, he really wasn't coming out of his crate, but now he's starting, you know, we leave the crate door open. He comes out, he kind of wants to interact with us. And then as soon as he sees a squirrel out in the backyard, it's just like boop ears up and he wants to go out and just go nuts yelling at that squirrel because that's what he likes to do. (laughs) So He's at least back in his frame where I think he's feeling good, but he's still, you know, his leg is not working like he wants to, wants it to. But that's, 
that's just been the story of this year. It feels like things, all the little things of life have just been compounded. And I don't know if it's because I, I don't have the sort of cushion of the day job getting sort of absorbing some of that pressure. Like everything is at home. So everything, if anything kind of gets in the way of what I start to think is just a system, you know, like get up at this time, work from these hours to these hours, produce this amount of work, like something is going to pop up and make it hard to do that. And that's really been the big lesson of 2020. So if I back up, like what, what was happening in 2020? When we look at in January, I was, I was still at the day job, knew that it was going to be coming to an end and was basically making plans for that to happen. And right around this week, actually, I started working from home and I did about three weeks from home. And then the job actually ended in February. So there was some transition time where was still getting the paycheck from the job and doing some small work for them and stuff, but it was definitely coming to an end. I, I knew like I had, I had talked to people who'd made the transition to, you know, writing full time, working from home. But at that time, the pandemic hadn't really set in and lockdown in our area hadn't really set in. And so my wife was still able to like, she had her, schedule that she would take our daughter out to different play areas, um, to interact with other kids throughout the day. And so even though we might have a morning routine, she would be out of the house typically by 10 and I could count on having some time between like 10 and even three, because usually go out to a play area, have some lunch, daughter falls asleep at one o'clock and then she'll sleep until three for her nap. And then, you know, so I would have time to work pretty consistently between 10 and, um, and three every day. And I also had some pretty strong goals, external goals at that point, because galactic law was still, I was still working on that series for variant publications. And so we, the first galactic law book came out in January and I'd already written most of that book. I was working on galactic law too, but went into that time period with some, you know, pretty strong external motivation. Like these books need to be done because they need to get into the editorial process. And that made it pretty easy to just keep, keep working. But things, things set in. (laughs) I had some other things I wanted to do. You know, I, I went into the year wanting to be much more consistent with my, um, my newsletter And it's kind of funny because as I sent out more newsletter, email newsletters, I kind of got some feedback that people were like, it's too many, too many emails. (laughs) But um, I was at least getting into a routine. I also wanted to do a podcast, a podcast that was focused on just reading short stories. And that's the classic science fiction podcast. And I did, you know, I hit the classic roadblock on that one of seven episodes and what happened with that was actually I, I kind of discovered that most of the stuff I could read that was within the public domain was just not stuff that was that interesting to me. It's all from the, you know, the 50s at the latest. And I was really hoping to be able to read things that were probably more from like the 80s and 90s into the, even the 2000s. But I got some feedback from some writers that I knew had work that was like the copyright belonged to them. It wasn't owned by the magazine that had originally published it, but they didn't want me to read it. And so like, okay. Um, you know, my feeling about stuff like that is that anytime you're going to get some promotion and, and it's free, like 
yeah, put promotion in a hand and I can't eat it. But, but still, like when it comes to a short story, if you're, I don't know, I digress. I, I just ran into the, the roadblock of people weren't as excited to have their stories read, the stories that I wanted to read as I thought they would be. And I didn't have time to keep contacting people if I found a story I wanted to read and, and whatnot. And so that, that project kind of fell by the wayside. And I need to go ahead and take down the podcast feed and that stuff that still exists. You know, the, the stories that are out there in the fifties, like I, I do like reading like Philip K. Dick stories and there's a lot of those that are out there, but a lot of other people have also read them as well. So if I'm using it as kind of promotion for myself and to expand my own reading, it's just that project wasn't accomplishing the goals that I wanted it to, especially when I was finding that devoting an hour more than an hour a week to that. Like I had a workflow down, so it was only taking, you know, probably an hour and a half to two hours to do it. But if I devoted two hours to doing that, I often found that I was getting a solid two hours a day of like focused work. And I really need to use that for writing. So, so that project fell by the wayside. And then, you know, I kept up steady newsletters until probably July, I think when Galactic Law 4 came out. And then I fell off on that. And I, when I look back on why that happened, you know, it's a couple things. I, I've never found like a good consistency with content to share. I, you know, just recently I got some, I was, I was thinking I was listening to Paul Teague's podcast or maybe, maybe it was Scott Moon was talking about how he gets, he gets a newsletter and it's obvious that the author will have saved up a bunch of stuff. No, this was in the story studio. They were talking about this. The author will have saved up a bunch of things because they want to make the newsletter really meaningful. And so they'll share a lot of things that they enjoyed from the previous week or even a couple weeks. And it ends up being like 12 things, you know, which is sort of what I was doing. Not quite that many, but still. Um, and the, the <laughs> when the, when he, the guy got that newsletter, he felt like it was giving him things to do and he didn't want things to do. (laughs) And so that, that made me think like I was maybe going about the newsletters the wrong way. And I've been, I've been thinking about them again. Like the things that I really enjoy are like say science fiction art and sharing art. That's not quite the promise I made with the newsletters, but that is something I could do consistently. That's pretty easy to just share a piece of art that I found. And then maybe a couple links that as those come up, so, so I'm kind of reassessing that because I know how important it is to have a consistent newsletter. I've just been bad at doing it. The other thing is that I, I didn't have a good reader magnet and this kind of ties into some other lessons I'm going to talk about from 2020, but not having a pipeline, my newsletter has been relatively stagnant as far as new emails coming in. I, I get probably a good, you know, three or four or five every month from readers. And those are, those are good because in the back of every book, um, you know, I have a link for folks to join the newsletter, um, once they finish the book. And those are the, those are the people I really want, but I've got like from years of having the newsletter, like it's sitting at about 3000 now and I've called it a couple times, but I probably need to just do that again and get really drilled down into the folks that want, you know, are interested in me as a writer. And I need to put some work into that and I just haven't done it. So again, it's the thing that I, the thing that I learned is I would go into any given day in 2020, especially once galactic law was done. Like, I feel like this really kind of started around July and there were some other things going on. Like we had some health, there were some health issues in my family that 
if like if nobody can watch my daughter I'm going to watch my daughter, which makes it difficult. Like as she gets older, she gets more and more demanding and you can't sit there and, and try and focus and type while she's say painting because she wants you to paint with her. She wants you to sit on the couch with her. She wants you, and which is wonderful. I should not be angry about my child wanting to spend time with me. And I had to really realize that, like, what are you doing? You have this gift of a child that wants to spend time with you and your problem is that you're trying to do two things at once and you can't do that. So if you can't control the kid, what can you control? (laughs) And, you know, jumping ahead a bit, like the, my big takeaway, I guess from 2020 is I've learned that if I get up at 5 AM and write, which I know that my daughter will still be asleep until 7:30, I have two and a half hours I can count on every day to write. So that's the same thing as when I was working, right? (laughs) So, so yeah, I feel like kind of a dummy when it comes to that, but that's been a big lesson. And, you know, I was going to open this podcast with, uh, if you want to kill your podcast stats, just do an episode saying that, uh, folks should probably hang on to their day job <laughs> or the importance of having those multiple streams of income, even while you're writing, because there are a number of things, you know, that I've kind of been talking about in the previous episodes that having external, you know, an external force in your life can help. And for me, at least like with the family dynamic and with everything else, like having an external force kind of helped push to get things done. Right. And not having that has made it easy for, you know, the writing to slide. Like if you don't have a deadline every single day or things that need to be done or have to be into work at a certain time, it's really easy to let your time that you control slide. Because, you know, who's not going to prioritize their kids or their family or a family member if they're, if they're sick, like you got to do that. So, so those are the things I've been balancing and, um, (laughs) I'll probably come back to the, like the the episode I did last time about the, you know, should you really quit your day job or do you really want to be a full-time writer? But I hope as I'm kind of communicating these challenges I'm having that you can sort of listen between the lines and see how I'm trying to work through both the transition of working for myself and dealing with the, just how that changes your life. But anyway, that's, it's funny because I've, I've kind of had a rejuvenation with my word counts and getting work done, but I, I chalk that up to getting up early and, and doing the work. (laughs) And at least for this time in my life, like I realize it's not always going to be like this, but as far as I can't control the time, once my daughter wakes up for the most part, I can control that time if I get up early, but that means I got to be in bed by 10 PM. And that's hard sometimes, especially if my daughter doesn't go to bed until nine. And I would like to spend, you know, an hour alone with my wife (laughs) on any given night. So so those are the challenges right now. And that was the challenge from 2020. You know, I, like a lot of authors have said over and over again, you know, Chris Fox talks about this a lot when, when you don't write or you don't publish, at least, um, the income drops off. And that is the model of indie publishing right now with, with Amazon at least. And I think if you're looking at this as being a viable career, if you don't have multiple sources of income, either, you know, from investments or a part-time job or a spouse, then can you consistently publish something, you know, every 90 days or so, so that you keep that income up? 
And I did a lot of work in 2020. The other, the other thing that, you know, I'm probably most proud, I'm very proud of, it's not the thing I'm most proud of, and I'll talk about that in a second, but was paying down all of our debt. Like really at this point, the, the only major expense we have in our lives is our mortgage. And I even learned about a, a program through the VA where I could, uh, the Veterans Administration, where I could reduce our interest rate. And, and now, like I was able to refinance the loan, which is something I didn't expect to be able to do while I was self-employed and got that, that major expense down. Um, I will say one thing, you know, if you're looking at being self-employed or you're also, you are self-employed, don't be afraid to go talk to, you know, I use a credit union, but don't be afraid to apply for loans. If you need it, apply for refinancing. I think a lot of, I had, I had some worry about that, that I, those things basically just wouldn't be available to us, you know, until I had some years of income history under our belts and that wasn't the case. You know, I was, I actually, <laughs> it's been a headache because I'm in the process of selling my truck and I bought a minivan because I, that was better for our family, but I got a small auto loan just to see if I could get some credit history being self-employed and, and paid that off. But I was very surprised. Like the fact that I was self-employed was not as much of a roadblock as I thought it was going to be. But in 2020, I, I pretty much paid off everything I could pay off. And, you know, we had some windfalls as far as like my vacation payout from, from the old job and was sitting on some savings and I, I needed to make the decision between like go ahead and pay off this debt and get our monthly income, you know, get our monthly costs down as low as they can be or hang on to paying these things. And I just decided to, to pay it off. And that meant I didn't have quite as long of a runway, but I also knew that I sort of needed that pressure to push me to, you know, I got to, I got to produce work on a consistent basis. So that was a big thing in, um, in 2020 that I did. And at this point, you know, based on savings and the income that we've got, like, I know how much runway I've got into 2022 until we're completely out. <laughs> so, you know, I've, I think I've talked about this before where I have a spreadsheet basically where I can track our monthly expenses, our savings, you know, burn rate, and then how much I'm bringing in and what the, what the gap is between how much I need to make to, and then where I can get to, to find equilibrium with those savings. And it's funny cause I have more savings at this point than I ever have in my life actually from working a day job. And when I look back at the day job, I'm like, man, I should have saved a lot more money. <laughs> I really wish I'd saved more money. And my feelings, you know, I've been listening to people like Dave Ramsey and different financial planners for years but I just never quite did it. Like even when Dave Ramsey talks about having a thousand dollar emergency fund, like that still consists, you still have to have a, a day job. And I just don't feel like you can depend on a day job these days. Um, which I, I guess I kind of got at in the last episode. Like even if you have one single source of income, like, is that really dependable? And that's kind of the good thing about writing is that that can be a dependable source of income. You just got to make, you know, you got to make that happen. So, so that was a big thing in 2020, like really digging into our budget, figuring out how we spend money. A lot of things changed with being at home. Uh, and so that was, that was a big lesson, but I'm pretty diligent about tracking all of that. I use mint.com, which I hadn't for a long time. And I finally kind of knuckled down and got mint all squared away so that it's, it's giving us good info on where we spend money, how we spend money, you know, dumb things I spend money on. I also, by 
paying off all of the credit cards, I was able to consolidate down to get pretty much most of our monthly expenditures go through a Fidelity credit card that gives 2% cash back on everything. And then you can roll that into an IRA, which, you know, based on monthly expenditures is, you know, not a huge amount of money, but, um, you know, I dumped that into a Fidelity standard IRA, um, an index fund. And so that's pulling in, you know, where that's going to be money in the future, which will be good. But having one credit card that you're funneling all of your expenditures through makes it really easy to see where you're spending money. And mint.com helps with that as well. Uh, We could talk about, you know, data mining with mint, but when I chose to use QuickBooks, you know, Intuit owns both QuickBooks and mint. So I figured I might as well just, just do that. And it's funny because I'm making the least amount of money on paper that I ever have in my life uh, to some extent, (laughs) but my credit score has gone up exponentially just from paying, paying stuff off. So I don't know. I would definitely, you know, if if you're thinking about writing full time or thinking about what, you know, what you want to do as far as your writing career goes and your income streams, I would just think carefully about, about that. Like if you can make the writing work with your day job, it can be a good buffer both mentally and from a financial perspective, because I think I talked about last time, the, the kind of mental pressure, at least for me of being like the sole earner and needing to produce a certain amount of work just to keep my family okay, you know, and it won't always be like that, but just because of the circumstances of our lives, but that was a big pressure in 2020. And the other big thing in 2020 is that I stopped uh, drinking alcohol (laughs) and I stopped probably around February. Uh, I guess it was middle of February. I, you know, I, it's funny, I was counting the days and I'm close to 275 days now. I need to go back and, and do that. Um, the exact date I was journaling a lot. And so every day I would write the number on top of the journal. And one of the things I decided in 2021 is I was going to stop journaling. And the first thing I would do every day is write fiction. And that's actually been working well for me, but it means that I've lost the count (laughs) on, on days that I haven't been drinking. Um, I have had a, I guess, a complicated relationship with alcohol, you know, starting when I was 16 years old. And it's always been kind of a a binge or even a thing that you have to hide because, you know, where I grew up, the social thing for high school kids was all about like, where can we get alcohol? And then once you have it, you drink it as fast as you can. Um, and that's not, that's not healthy. That's not a good way to approach anything. And I've seen how that sort of idea of binging or, getting a thing and then consuming it as quickly as possible has sort of infiltrated a lot of different aspects of my life, even writing where I'll have a deadline and sort of think that I can wait until right before the deadline and binge to get the words done. And it, it doesn't work that way, at least not at this point in my life, because part of it is the toddler. I can't count that I'm going to have that time, but also I don't produce the best work that I would, that I would like to. But I I see how things like that have, you know, from sugar to, you know, that relationship and socially um, dumb things I've said in my life because of alcohol, dumb things I've done. Um, You know, I was co-owner of a distillery. So for about five years of my life, alcohol was a big part of it. I was making it. I was around it all the time. I was marketing in bars and restaurants. And that meant being there. That meant having a drink with people that meant doing tastings. Um, and 
and I wanted that, I just felt like it was time to do something different with that. And probably the, the biggest thing was I, I was having, you know, a beer every night after work and I wasn't happy with how I felt physically. It was making it hard for me to get up in the morning. And when the lockdown started and I was only going to the grocery store and shopping, you know, enough for three weeks for us. And I realized like how much beer I would need to buy to, you know, at least I had moved from hard alcohol to beer, but beer was not doing anything good for my body. Um, realizing how much I would need to buy to kind of sustain what I, the rate that I was drinking, even a couple, a couple beers a night or three or three beers. Um, it was a lot and having to go to our bottle return because my area has consolidated bottle returns <laughs> was a nightmare. Um, and it just became like, maybe that was the excuse. Like, I don't want to deal with that, but I was also curious if I could do it. Like, how would I feel if I did this? And 2020 for me was a time of just trying different things to see what was going to work better for producing work. And if I'm going to be a writer, that's my career. That's my profession. I get paid for the things that come out of my brain. Do I want to be abusing my brain and my body on a nightly basis? And I don't want to... Like, I I don't want to think of myself as a teetotaler. You know, I'm not going to tell people they shouldn't um, enjoy a drink to relax. You know, I I even tried, like, in February, I hurt my back. And um, I tried some CBD oil. And that that didn't work well for me. Um, I've just realized that I, right now, I'm really focused on if I'm, how I, if this is how I'm going to make a living, I want to be, I want to know what's coming out of my brain and my mouth and my my fingers in the keyboard is a pure reflection of what I was thinking and not a reflection of me drunk. So that was, that was a big deal for me. I just, I, I don't want to harp on it. And I've, I haven't really talked about it in the podcast because this isn't a sobriety podcast. This isn't like, it's not a weight loss podcast. This is just the things that I think about. And if I want to be, you know, as I'm a right, as I try to produce writing that I'm proud of, that's also commercially viable. These are all the things that are always kind of like rolling around in my brain (laughs) and, and taking the alcohol away actually kind of helped. And I'm finally in the place where I don't think about having a beer. Um, you know, I think about those cycles just in my day where, you know, get up in the morning, go to eat breakfast, go to work, probably not drink enough water throughout the day. And so by four o'clock I'm feeling like low blood sugar, low blood sugar, I'm thirsty. I'm dehydrated. Um, wouldn't it be great to stop at a bar and have a beer before I go home? But then you have one beer, you want more beers, um, go to the grocery store to pick up some things for dinner, buy a six pack with the groceries, go home, have some more. Like it's just a cycle that then repeats itself every day. And I'm not the person I want to be with my family. I'm not getting up early to get, you know, writing done like I would like to. And you see where these little points in your day create the conditions for you not to accomplish your goals. And that's, that's where I was with that. You know, it's just like this, the dumb realization that if I, if I get up at 5am, I have a bigger word count that day. Okay. What do I need to do to get up at 5am? And how do I balance, you know, kind of making that, making sure because all these little things come up. And if I, I don't like being the one during the day that's like, Hey, we gotta, I gotta get this done so I can move on to this next thing because other people in my family don't have those same sort of pressures. <laughs> um, but finding ways to, to do that so that I can, I can be in the place I want to be. 
And I just realized alcohol wasn't, wasn't helping me get there. So will I never have another drink? I don't know. Um, nothing has really come up yet that, you know, I got through the holidays and, you know, granted there wasn't a whole lot of socializing and I haven't been able to spend time with friends where there's nothing I love better than to go to a local pub or a brewery and enjoy a beer with a friend. Um, I don't know that I'll ever say I won't do that. Um, but that hasn't been available this year. So it was kind of easy to take that question away. Um, so I don't know, but that's, I felt really good about that. That was something that came out of this year that I feel I can definitely take into, um, going forward that, you know, I wish I could say that I, I quit drinking and my, I lost 30 pounds or my word counts went up every day easily. And the ideas were coming to me. That didn't happen. <laughs> In fact, I've, I've seesawed with my weight. Like I have consistently lost about 10 pounds, I guess. Um, and my weight does not feel like it's slowly creeping upward. Like it had been for a long time, but now I've just been like within the same, like still overweight and not where I want to be, but at least it's not continually creeping up. So that's been, that's been good. And it is a lot easier to get up. Like I don't, um, I don't snore as bad. That's been good. (laughs) Maybe, maybe losing those 10 pounds really helped with that, but that's something that has made my wife happy. Um, but that was a big takeaway from 2020. And if there's anything, you know, we talk about as the lockdown continues, I think we're definitely through the honeymoon phase of people trying to shame each other or, you know, we all know what we can get accomplished during this time. And maybe as we go into 20, you know, 2021, it's time to take a look at what worked or didn't work and come up with some plans to, to help you get where you want to be in 2021. You know, I think a lot of folks, if you're listening to this and you've been writing and you're still working, but you're not quite sure what's going to happen with your job next year. I think there are a lot of indicators that I don't want to be doom and gloom, but the economy is still not, not great. And we'll have to see what happens going into 21 that, it's maybe if you haven't been saving money, it's time to start taking a look at your budget and what you can do to save money and what, you know, it's real simple to make a spreadsheet that kind of shows what your current expenditures are and how much you would need and how long you can last on your current savings if the job went away. Because one, you know, I think I've talked about this a couple episodes ago. It's pretty humbling to, <laughs> to realize you're not even getting callbacks from you know, fast food places when you just wanted to work a certain number of hours a week. Um, cause like, at least for me, I'd reached a point in my career where if I wanted to go do the same job, I need to, I need to move and I'm not going to put my family through that. And that's also, there could be plenty of hidden costs in, in a move that we're not seeing right away. And I don't want to go back into debt and I don't know. So I would really recommend taking a look at those things just for the kind of the resilience of, of you and your, your family. And I think if I could go back and, you know, smack myself upside the head, even before I started the business, because I remember doing the math when I started the distillery, thinking that I had enough disposable income, um, in addition to the business loans that I ended up getting and taking on that debt that I would be okay. And if I had taken that money and just saved it, you know, I could have years worth of, you know, like where I wouldn't have to work and I would have that savings to kind of just do whatever I wanted to do. But also if I needed to realign my life or it looked like the job wasn't working out, um, I would have a safety net there. I will say that, you know, one thing with, 
you know, the part-time job with FedEx, which has been fun just to go throw some boxes and it frees my mind up to think about other things. But having a job where I could, I could walk if I don't like the job, uh, is pretty, it's kind of a very liberating thing. Um, and I've never experienced that in my life. So I hope that if you, if you haven't, you could, you could do that at some point. So, so what else with 2020 or with, with 2020, that's kind of been the big deal. Like I feel moving into 21, I'm well positioned to, to be successful, but I got to start getting some work out. Um, another big, big thing is I finally finished fire upon the worlds with Mal Cooper. She's working through her little bits of the plot right now, but I wrote another, uh, I guess through December, like another 40,000 words on that. I had to delete some stuff and then I jumped back into, um, it was like the, the plot finally, like the characters came back to me. I felt for a long time, like the characters in the world just wasn't speaking to me like it had previously. And it finally came back. And so that, that felt good because the words came, like I just knew what I needed to write and the words came. So I'm done with my piece of that. I've jumped back into Galaxy Sword, which is the series I'm working on um, for Variant. And basically just because I had, I'd already written about 25,000 words for that. And I really like to just finish book one on that one so I could let it sit and then get into my project for Athon books. Um, but even if I'm looking at, if I have, so if we, right now the release for Fire Upon the Worlds will be the 21st of this month. Uh, I'm probably not looking at a bump in income from that release um, for another 60 days. So, you know, April timeframe, which is when I need to deliver the books to Athon. But, you know, I wouldn't be looking at another big jump in income until probably May. And our savings are, are okay as far as that goes. But I need to get a release under my own name. And I need to get these things done for with the, the publishers. But this has really forced me to dig into, like, I have the skills to publish things on my own. Yes, there are definite upsides to working with a publisher. There are definite upsides to co-authoring. But a big lesson from co-authoring, and I think I've talked about this before, is that the longer you co-author, the longer you do not develop an audience under your name that loves you for being you. There's always going to be the question of, is that audience really only for, you know, Mal Cooper or Jeff Cheney or whoever else you might be um, working with? Like, even Athon has done kind of the same things that Jeff and, and Mal have done where they have a really strong marketing pipeline that has a built-in audience in a lot of ways that reads just about everything they publish. And so if you're doing, like I don't, you don't have to have a pipeline that size, but if you have a pipeline of those dedicated fans, even, you know, 500 people that you know are going to buy your book every release, that's, that's income, you know? And if like, I think I've talked about before, but what you can expect from indie publishing is to have a big spike on the the launch day, which, you know, wherever you get in the Amazon store, that's going to be, you know, the most money you make. And then it's going to decline over time. And so with every release, you've got that spike and then a long, a long decline until it levels off. And so y- there is a cumulative effect where that, that leveling off gets a little bit higher every time because if you've got a series and people are reading through the series or people find you and then they read through... Um, that's always that's where that consistent income is is the leveling off and how that lasts over time, and I've been fortunate where you know at fourteen books now between with Mal and then Jeff Cheney like I've got a base 
but I've still got a thousand dollar gap between what I need to make with, you know, to basically make my savings sustainable given what our family, um, you know, spends and then the stuff that has popped up like, like vet bills that I didn't expect and things like that, where there's an additional thousand dollars that you have to spend this month that you weren't planning on. (laughs) But, you know, I think of it sometimes as like, um, I know it's like a glider, you know, when you throw a glider into the air and it, it reaches it, it goes up, it reaches its highest point and then it glides. And so your, the number of books you get are going to be the, the wind beneath the wings on that glider that keeps it going over time. And also publishing your own work where you're not giving up, say, 50% of royalties, which is a good, is, is a good agreement. Um, there aren't many publishers, even in the indie space, that are going to give you more than 50%. In fact, most will try and start you at you know 30 or whatever, and so always try and negotiate for that 50% of, of net, not gross. Um, then you're giving up more income. And so if you can develop that pipeline, have that audience that loves you, and you've got the skills to edit your book, you know, edit your own work, or at least have a, a system in place to get it there, get your own covers, all those things, that's really where this is, the sustainable income is at. And I, you know, I've known this. I just kind of made an excuse to myself, I guess, with, well, I have a day job and I'm getting income from that. So I, I give up that 50% of the royalties to someone else because they handle the marketing and I get access to their audience. And I think there's, there's definitely a good argument to be made there, but I'm at the point now where I would kind of like to make some more money. <laughs> so, so I know I need to do a mix of these things and it's always, it's a mix, right? Um, that's the takeaway. So finding the time to both get this work done, that's going to be for publishers and then do some things on my own in between the cracks is what I'm working on. And with the, uh, the series for Athon, I've, I've got some side projects I want to do that would basically create a pipeline for, you know, like prequels and side character type stuff that folks could have a place to go um, once they're done with that series. And then depending on what happens with Athon, they, you know, they've made every indication that they would want to continue with the series if it's selling. And if it isn't selling, I could probably still make good money with these characters, you know, good enough for what I need with these characters to continue writing them which was really my goal for Vagabond Space before the opportunity work to work with Athon came up. I think um, with Variant, it might be more like it's a, like they're just much more specific with what they want, but there's also more possibility for, for better better income there. So so we'll see what, what happens with that. Um, yeah, which I guess leads me into, you know, plans for 21. And I have just realized that I, I got to increase my word counts. I wrote about 600,000 words in 2020, but not enough of those words were fiction. (laughs) I did a lot of journaling and I was using forthewords.com, which is, you know, the website that kind of gamifies your writing. But in a way it was encouraging me to do the wrong thing because when like it, you're just getting points for, for spitting out words. Right. So I was doing a lot of journaling, which granted was probably was useful to me. Like I haven't gone back to read it. Um, I do like having sort of a daily, you know, log of what's happening with the family and kind of my feelings about this transition, which has been a a big change in my life, a really big change in my life. It's one thing to, you know, make an extra thousand dollars a month from a side hustle. But then when the side hustle becomes, you know, your full-time gig, it's just a complete change in, in mental state. And so, 
I spent a lot of time thinking about that, writing about that, kind of getting those ideas out, trying to clarify my writing, clarify my just the flow of my thoughts when it comes to nonfiction, at least. But I also realized that that was those were a lot of words that weren't making did not have the potential to make me income. <laughs> In talking with Valerie, my coach, who writes a memoir and has written um, several really really lovely memoirs, like I when I told her that I was going to thinking about not writing as much nonfiction, she was kind of like, oh, "Don't give up the nonfiction." Which yeah, I I would love to, for it to be useful, I guess. But right now, I want to write. I want to write fiction. It's not that just that I need to write fiction, but I want to, and I want to be more consistent about it. So. So even though I did a lot of writing, I, this going into this year, like I'm going to do probably none or much less journaling and it's all going to be fiction. And I've also realized that the first thing I need to do every day is fiction. So get up, get up early, um, get those word counts done. And you know, when, when you go fresh into January and you know that, you know, if you write 2,750 words a day, that's a million words a year, which seems easy, right? That's, that's two hours of work. And for me, it's two hours of work easily as long as I know what I want to write. So I have to do all the pre-work to make that happen. So that's where the, you know, the, the book, the, the fiction workbook that I'm kind of putting together comes in because I want to have some tools for myself to have, have books ready to go. Really digging into my outlining process is something that I'm, I'm spending some time on really digging into what it takes every day, but not, not just every day because life is kind of happening on a weekly and a monthly basis, right? So being realistic about the days that I can get word counts done is something I'm looking at for 2021. And I'm a big fan of the tool Right Track, which I've linked uh, in the show notes many times. And one of the things Right Track lets you do is, like, if you have a day you're no, you know you're going to get big word counts, you can set it at 100%. If it's a weekend and you think I'm barely going to have time to sit, you know, sit at a laptop, um, you can set it at like 20%, and then it will adjust your whole month based on that to give you an idea where those word counts need to be. I also broke down that million word goal into monthly goals. So I know what I need to do for January to get there. And that helps you see, you know, if you were just doing it on a yearly basis, then if you, if you slip or don't do one day, it's not showing you exactly what you have to do to, to make that. Um, for me, you know, like I've said, the big lesson is having those, those daily, daily goals. If I can't make them external, if I don't have someone else who's, you know, telling me I need to do something or I'm doing it. It's not so much. I don't like to be told what to do, but I like to be part of a team working with a team, doing things for other people, being accountable to other people, which is a thing that I don't quite have right now. So doing those things, you know, using tools like right track is something I plan to do a lot of in 2021. I also plan to make my newsletter just smaller, smaller chunks digging into the things that I like that are also easy for me, like the, the science fiction art that, um, that I found. And I've gotten good responses from that stuff on Facebook. I want to pre-schedule social media because I've been spending a lot less time on social media. And yes, that kind of like the big thing I, that I get from Facebook is actually interaction with other writers, but I have, this is something I should actually, I should mention that I took out of, um, 2020, 
moved off of Facebook to be in a, a smaller group using Slack with writers that um, I admire, that motivate me, that are we're kind of on the same playing level, although you know we're in different places. Like, but I would say that we're all professionals, and that is something that it's really motivating to be working with um, a group of writers that are doing that. But it's giving me what Facebook used to do, and so now when I go to Facebook. Um, like if I'm adminning for groups or things like that, I try to be really intentional about Facebook. I just go there, I do the thing I meant to do, and then I get off Facebook. Um, and so going into 21, I really want to dig into what what I'm getting from that. Like as I really try and dig into who my who my readers are, who my audience is, like how I'm consolidating and speaking to those those folks. Like is Facebook the best way to do that? Is email? You know, how am I getting feedback from them? I think that you know, something Jeff Cheney and Mal Cooper did really well is that they have Facebook groups that are non-political, focused on things that people love. <laughs> and, you know, Jeff's group is much lar- larger. I think it's almost at 7,000 folks now. And it tends to be kind of general science fiction stuff that's related to, you know, Renegade, Sc- Renegade Star and Jeff's work, but then also cats and funny memes. And there were several times that uh, political things had to be kind of shut down um, don't really do stuff about the pandemic or COVID or, you know, it's become something that like, if you used to want to go to a bar to hang out with people and talk about sports, that's what this is for folks that love science fiction. And then the Aeon 14 group is smaller. It's only at about 700 people right now, but it's really tends to be more hard science fiction, people that love and have read that kind of work. And then also people that are, you know, really supportive of and love Mal and, and her journey and things that she's going through. Um, so that's been, it's been good. Like creating those places for people on social media is what I think will make Facebook viable going forward. Like that's, what's unfortunate about Facebook because all the things that make Facebook a terrible festering ground for extremist ideas (laughs) also make it really effective at creating a niche group where people can get together and talk about things they love. I mean, that's what I like about Reddit is, you know, if you stay away from the, the general subreddits, which can be kind of garbage and get into the really specific ones, that's where you find some great people. And the thing about Reddit is that it's anonymous. So it's, you don't really get to know people the same way you do on Facebook, but Reddit still has some good interactions like that. So, so when it comes to building a fan group, I think Facebook is probably still the best place to do that, but I'm, I haven't jumped in and made like my own group yet. And I, I probably need to do that. Like, you know, Christopher Hopper with his ruins of the galaxy has a Facebook group that is somewhat active. And it's been interesting to see the split actually between the Cheney group and, and Chris's group, because I think some, some readers are still not quite sure. Like who wrote ruins of the galaxy? Was it, you know, they know Chris Hopper wrote it, but Whereas Jeff, I, I don't know. I, I think that can sometimes create a schism for, for readers. Um, if you're studying that kind of thing, but if you are developing that, you know, one really good writer to look at two writers, I would say they're in my, my writer's group are Charles Akeke and, um, Jeff Haskell, Jeffrey H. Haskell. They have smaller groups, but they're very niche because, um, both of those guys write superhero, but, also kind of branch out into other things. Like right now, both are working on some space opera slash military science fiction, but their groups are very focused, very supportive. And if you're looking at, I think at a good example of a good place to start, that's what I'm looking at because that's what I would like to grow 
through 2021. But then also a writer like, you know, Rick Partlow, Rick, if you're listening, how you doing, man? Um, you know, Rick doesn't really do Facebook groups. Uh, he's got his newsletter and, um, he interacts with fans through, through newsletters and things, but Rick is very active on Facebook and available to, and talking to fans and interacting with other groups, with other writers and things like that. So his path is kind of different that way as well. So if you don't like doing that kind of Facebook group thing, you don't have to, to be successful. You know, Rick makes up for it by being very prolific and he gives readers what they want all the, you know, consistently. So, um, they, they you don't need to have that gap or that other place because people have the books. And I've heard some writers say like, they don't think Facebook helps, you know, they don't need it. They, they just write. And that's where their that is their interaction with the fans is their work. So, so I don't know. I'm still, I'm still thinking about that. But for me, the big thing going into 21 is I can't, I can't sell work if I don't have it. Right. So, I've been producing work with other people. That's been, that's worked well for me. But as I look five years ahead, you know, when I, when I go back and, and talk to myself in 2016, when I first, I guess it was 2017, when I first started talking with Mal about co-authoring, I've learned so much from Mal and so much from, you know, about the industry and about being focused on readers and, and writing the books that readers want would it have been better for me just to do things under my own name and kind of flail around and figure that out? Probably not because it took me a long time to get that lesson nailed into my brain. And I was still in writers groups. You know, I still am in writers groups that are not reader focused. They're editor focused and author focused, you know, where people are basically writing to please other writers in the group, which are not readers are not the people that buy books. Um, so so I don't know. It's a catch 22, but I do know that where I am right now, I need to spend this next year doing work under my own name. I've taken the steps to make that happen, you know, both with the contracts with Athon and variant. Um, I'm still going to do, I have two more books in the current series to finish out with Mal. And then, you know, we'll figure out how we're going to move forward with, uh, the rest of the sentience wars. I would love to keep writing them. I love Anne 14 and I, I just had a block this year and I, I hate that that happened, but there were a lot of things that came in, kind of got in the way of, of getting fire upon the world's done. And I'm so happy that it's now done. Um, there's nothing worse than having a deadline get pushed and a pre-order date not happen. And then having a, a reader, you know, email you and say, Hey, what's going on with the book? Um, you know, readers are supportive when you say, well, we, some stuff came up, we got to make sure it's good not going to, not going to put out a book that isn't where we want it to be. And they're totally supportive of that, but you got to realize that people only have so much bandwidth. And if you don't, if you don't meet them where they need you to meet them, which is, I made time to read this or like several, several folks said that they, they read through everything again to be ready for fire upon the worlds. And then it didn't come out. I felt like crap because of that. (laughs) You know, I felt like absolute crap, but I, I'm really happy with where the book is now and I know it's going to be, I think it's going to make people happy. They're going to enjoy it a lot and it'll be a solid addition to the rest of, of Mal's work. So, but I'll say I'll, that's, that's one of the downsides of this, you know, producing as much as, um, you need to in this model. And when, when readers want the work, you, you got to make sure you find a way to make that happen. So that's why I'm working on these, you know, outlining tools, working on when, when I can write, how I can make the writing happen. So I still feel good about it as well. And that's 20, that's going to be 21. At least I'll keep you updated on how it goes. 
Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I feel good. I hope you can hear it in my voice that I feel good. I, there were several times that I sat down to want to do this episode and it kind of didn't feel like it was coming to me, but I've just realized that there are always going to be these little things that are coming up and you just got to take it in stride. And I'm so happy that, that my dog is feeling better. (laughs) Um, things are, things are looking good going into this next year. And so I'm almost up on a year anniversary of being full time and that feels good as well. It's, I have to step back and remind myself that this is the place I always wanted to be my whole life. I've thought I want to be a writer. Now, did I have full knowledge of what that means? No, not necessarily. And I even look back on the times when, you know, I thought I'm going to go get an MFA and things like that. I'm like, well, who was I trying to please at that time? I was trying to please myself. A big lesson of the last four years has been learning about audience and how to please an audience and tell a story. And those are the people that you want to please. And some of the lessons that you learn, I think, in writing groups or MFA groups and things like that are not about pleasing an audience. They're about pleasing yourself as a writer, which is great. You should do that. But um, you, all, you also got to learn to tell a story. And so that's what I've been, I don't know, I've been doing. Just tell the story. Have fun. Create characters people love and create hooks to keep them coming back. And they will keep coming back. They will support you. So that's what I'm, that's what I'm doing. Uh, I would love to do some conferences in 21 if I can. I don't know if that's, that will be the case just based on family stuff. But as of now, I'm planning on doing the 20 books conference that'll be in November. I think by then I'll be able to have gotten stuck, you know, with the vaccine and stuff. So we'll be good for that. I would love to go to Nink, uh, in June, but I don't, I'm just not sure that's gonna, that would happen. Um, other things that happened this last week, I was really stoked. So vivid covers, which is a, if you go to vividcovers.com, they do some of the the best pre-mades in the business. And I was really excited to get some, some covers made some covers, uh, in a sale that they did. that are going to be for some of the work I'm doing myself coming up this year and just some beautiful stuff. I, you know, one of the things I love about working with Mal and working with Jeff is that I've been so spoiled with the book covers that I get. I mean, Jeff Cheney, like high, you know, hoards his, his cover designers because they're so good. And Andrew Dobell does such awesome stuff with Aeon 14. I feel like it has such character and you know, immediately when you look at that book that it's an Aeon 14 book. Um, well, I was able to get some stuff that Rebecca Haskell did that I think is going to help create that kind of visual brand for me. And I'm, I'm really excited about that. I was able to get it and also fit the budget. So, um, that was great. So I'm excited about that. Um, I'm hoping to share those on social media here pretty soon. And, and yeah, that's been the big win of this week. And then it's just down to the words. So I've got another 2000 words to write today and I'll be continue to knock them out this week, every day. (laughs) I'll let you how, let you know how it goes. So I'll see you again next week. I think my goal for next week, which I'll keep you updated on again, is that, um, the March to to a million words and hopefully nothing else will get in the way. (laughs) between now and uh and the end of the year but we'll keep it going all right thank you very much for listening i hope that your writing goes well and if you got goals or you got any questions or things like that going into this year if there's any way i can help please don't hesitate to shoot me an email um i am going to get the website going so we can do some comments and whatnot but uh until then um i love getting email and i love hearing about uh how you're doing and if there's any way i can help i am glad to do that so 
james at jamesaron.net. I will talk to you next week. Later. Mm-hmm.